Well, thank you. Thank you so much for... <laughs> Hello and welcome to Hey Arnold Hey. Um, this is Corey Vaughn with Adam Smaha, and we're we're back. We're a little 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 week behind or something, but yeah, we took a little time off. But we're glad to be back talking about Hey Arnold and the little football head and all of us. Yep, the little football head and all of us. Um, couple just you know normal quick reminders is to please um, rate and review. Uh, we've gotten a few new ones recently, which is cool. Um, please, uh, check out our website at heyarnoldhey.com. Email us questions or stories or whatever at hey.heyarnoldhey at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so we're, we're here. We're talking about Hey Arnold. So today the episodes are, um, false alarm and world records. Um, I, I liked them. False Alarms was all right. I think World Records is, has a little bit more interesting fodder to talk about, but... A little more meat. A little more meat. Um, so let's... Should we dive in? Is there anything I'm yeah. forgetting? Well, I just want to say there's the, the one comment we got recently I thought was kind of funny. It mentioned something about the show being like being in a bar. And it's always interesting because I find that we're always drinking when we record. Ever so slightly. And a moderate amount. Just, yeah, just... Really, just one beer usually. Right now, we're we're working on a longboard lager. No, <laughs> longboard. Which one is it? I don't know. It's I like don't a, it's their golden ale. It was two ninety nine at the liquor store, so we were on a bit of a budget right now. Um, but and the guy mentioned something about the kind of weird dudes that he'd want to get a drink with. I think is what he said in the comment. So, which sir, is the nicest thing it is. you could say about our podcast. And if you truly want to have a drink with us, if you crack open a beer right now, we're also having a beer. So it's like you're having a drink with us. Whoa. In the age That's of social media, it's like we're hanging out. You know what? I have this theory that the world is flat. Do you do? I'm just, it's you sound like Moth McConaughey. It, it's on a, it's a, it's a <laughs> disc or whatever. It's a different thing. No, there's a book called <laughs> The World is Flat, and it's... It, yeah, I, I no, did not... I know. I know. But I, I was... Know. Yeah, jokes upon jokes, my friend. So meta. So much mm-hmm. meta-ness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he also said that we <laughs> were like, well, saying like a lot. Uh, yeah, thanks for pointing that out, pal. Are you talking to me? Or, no, that oh, guy. Oh, that guy, yeah. <laughs> the, the we know we guy. sound like idiots. <laughs> you don't have to point it out. Just kidding. The rest of that was really a, very nice. Thank you for, uh, yeah, send, leave us comments, email us, rate and review. Those are, they matter. It matters. <laughs> it really matters. M- mostly to our ego and yeah, psyche. Yeah, very much our ego. The amount of times like that I spend looking at the comments and hoping there's a new one is depressing. I read and reread it every day. It, 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 it shows part of my personality that I didn't know existed, and I'm so terrified of it. Mm, like, deep deep inside you is this, like, green monster that needs... Just this neurotic, mm. self-obsessed creature. <clears throat> I knew that neuroses was there, but the self-obsessed part is, <laughs> is new to me, but probably not to everyone around me. Not to me. <laughs> you're, you're as narcissistic <laughs> as they come. You, Adam. Me, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best I can to go through false alarm. Just a quick summary. Um, which I feel like the episode was kind of a summary too. So it's yeah. a summary of a summary. You're going to go through the summary as fast as Helga wanted. Right. Right. The, which, which isn't a full 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the case, whatever it was. Yeah. We case. did. We, we were just like looking up stuff on the episode and it is a parody of 12 angry men. Neither of us have seen yeah, it. Yeah, we haven't seen it. So uh, I'm not. <laughs> That's on... where that ends for us. So courtroom drama for me, it kind of ends at Law and Order and mm-hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird, and which are both, you know, I Law and Order is a great '90s television show, and that still goes on today. <laughs> and To Kill a Mockingbird's great. That's really the extent of my courtroom drama that I've that I've seen. So I don't. I, 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 never... I loved The Wire. There are some scenes in the courtroom, but it's not like a courtroom based drama. But the, there are scenes in there. Yeah, I'm watching Better Call Saul right now. That's Ooh. that's got dr- courtroom, that. yeah. It's a it's a spinoff of the Breaking Bad. I've never heard of the Breaking Bad. Uh it's a it's a show about I think pot dealers. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. And I thought it was about a gambling addiction. Is what I heard. It's it something. Yeah, it's they're breaking real bad. 
Okay, so uh, this episode is a parody of 12 Angry Men. There is uh, the situation where somebody, the idea is probably Eugene, um, has pulled the fire alarm at PS 118. And the principal, who this is, I think this is his first time shown up in the show, um, Principal Wartz, who is a caricature of Richard Nixon, basically. Like a very Simpsons esque, is how it felt to me. A Simpsons esque Richard Nixon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he puts together this fake children's court, uh, which has terrible bylaws that don't make sense in a real public school system. But it's a fictional cartoon, so we'll let it slide. Uh, basically, Eugene goes against um, a jury of his peers, uh, and they decide whether he's guilty or not. And if he's guilty, he's expelled. So the jury, which is only six students, which I'm glad it wasn't a full 12. It would have been annoying to have to like hear all the opinions of all these kids. Uh just six of them. It's Arnold, Gerald, Helga, Phoebe, Harold, and Curly. And they are hanging out in the library talking about um, basically the different evidence. And Arnold, of course, he's he's the one holdout for this unanimous vote. Um, and Arnold's kind of, the thing he kind of keeps going, going up against is he's saying there's reasonable doubt. There isn't enough proof. And everyone else keeps saying, yeah, there's plenty of proof. And then they kind of list each of the things there's some, uh, you know, Eugene's love for peanut butter and there's peanut butter on the fire alarm and they found his sandal and they found his glasses. Um, all these different kind of things that point to it probably being Eugene. Um, but by the end of this kind of, uh, I guess, debate in, the, in this in this library, Arnold lays out all the reasons why he thinks it probably wasn't Eugene. He kind of creates this fake maybe this happened and maybe this happened. And there are enough things that don't sound quite right. And so the, the kids are like, well, then who did it? And then just kind of without any, any real need to, you know, uh, reveal that it was him curly snaps and says, it was me. I did it. And he walks through this, basically what exactly happened, um, which is he set Eugene up to look like, he pulled the fire alarm. And the reason is just because Eugene borrowed a pencil and gave it back to him worse off than before, which is, by the way, the worst thing that a person can do is borrow a pencil from somebody, chew it up, sharpen it down to the metal. So I kind of I, I get Curly's frustration, but he is crazy. And I think my like, well, I'll say what I think about Curly's uh, reaction, um, but then it just cuts to. Principal Warts saying, Eugene, you're innocent. And everyone cheers. And then Curly gets taken away, still kind of crazy. And then he pulls the fire alarm again. Um, there are a lot of details in this episode, and I definitely skimmed over them. And I that's watched a watching the episode. Yeah, that's a watching yeah, the show. It's well. very, like, very detailed. Um, there is a visual component to Harold that we can't explain to the podcast. Right, right. So it would help if you watched it. Yeah, it's on Hulu Plus. Yeah. Um, you can buy it at most retailers. Yeah. Yeah. You can buy anything these days on the internet. So it's out the there. Inter what? Internet. Mm. Okay. So for myself, this was a fairly good episode. I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Okay. There was a few things about it that I thought that kind of uh, piqued my attention. And yeah. One of them was how everybody pretty much thought he was guilty, even yes. before any evidence yeah. was shown, which I thought was pretty fascinating. And kind of, uh, I always think about this, like, how would this play out in real life? And I think real court cases are kind of like this, too. Like, people kind of already have their minds made up before mm, anything yeah. has, like, gone down in terms of showing the evidence. Um there's also another thing that I thought was funny when the jurors, I think, are all getting together to discuss uh, how they feel about the case and whether he's guilty or not. Helga, in her very authoritative manner, sort of is trying to speed expedite the process yeah. because she has like a wrestling match she wants to watch. And I have some thoughts about that later on. But I think... Well, by the way, that's a recurring trope is that Helga loves WrestleMania. Okay, that's so funny. So it comes back over and over. Not to... Spoiler alert, sorry. <laughs> WrestleMania is a returning theme. Anyway, so go ahead. So I feel like we all think of court cases as like a systematic procedure. And it's sort of this like very like rational, logically thought out process. And it's sort of sterile. And you kind of just like look at the evidence 
and you go through it and then you come to this like unbiased decision about whether this person is guilty or innocent. And obviously the real world doesn't work like mm. that. And I know that they try to screen jurors for like prejudices and right. different things like that, but they don't go into that in the show, but it has nothing to do with it really. But you see sort of uh, through the, the the show that that this is actually the farthest thing from that. It's full of people trying to just get done, people just yeah. having their opinions already made up for them. And it reminded me of this, um, there's this really great podcast called The Weeds. It's like a public policy podcast by um, Vox. This guy, Ezra Klein, is a journalist, is a part of it, and a couple other people. And they had this research paper that they showed on the show that, to me, uh, came to my mind right away, which is that they were talking about like when cesarean sections are used during childbirth. And there's a peak in C-sections. This sounds like it's not going to connect, but it'll I'm connect waiting. really yeah. quick. I think I, I think I just heard about this, though, but go ahead. There's a peak in C-sections, like during holidays and during sporting events and all sorts of oh. things like this. And this sort of ties into the Helga thing because they use C-sections in those times because the people doing the procedure want to be done as quickly as possible. And C-sections run on a very strict timeline. So you basically go, I have like X amount of hours and I'll be in and out and I can leave as the doctor and go watch my sporting event. Right. So they right. book them around these oh events. Oh my, if WrestleMania. Have, yeah, exactly. So if you have like a regular birth, that could take forever. It could take and the doctor 30 has to, hours. Yeah, it has to hold your hand and hear you scream and everything. When a C-section, you just like cut that snip, baby snip, open yeah. and you're out of there. And, you know, that, that that's the technical term. You cut snip, the baby snip, open, you're snip, out of snip, you're out of there. Yeah. Cracking a beer, you know what I mean? Yelling at the TV, which is what people want to be doing. Yeah. Or yeah. Hell yeah. The family around them. Hell yeah. If it's a holiday. Oh. Um, so that I thought was fascinating because that's shown throughout this whole exchange with Helga. She doesn't care about the ethics or sort of the, the like having like right. a just end result. <clears throat> um, she just really wants to go watch WrestleMania. <laughs> She keeps listing all these like different wrestling characters. Yeah, like I don't even know the Bob the Giant Cat. I don't know the name of these wrestlers. Is that like what they call wrestlers? Uh, Bob the Builder, I think, is a wrestler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. WWF. Which is uh, never mind. I'm gonna try to make keep making jokes about wrestling and not know a thing. It's real, right? It's not. It's not fake, right? Wrestling. Uh, World Wildlife Entertainment, I think, is what yep. WWE. Yep. Yeah. Um. It is wild. So I think, yeah, that was the most interesting thing to me that came to my, I mean, I don't know if it's interesting to you, the listener, but that's the, that's the kind of what came to my mind immediately was that sort of like disregard for the procedure and just kind of caring more about yourself mm. than sort of this thing that's greater than you, which is like the legal process. Right. Right. And that's what Arnold keeps hammering in, which partly it's because he is a moral compass. He really does care. Oh, this is, this is going on his permanent record. He will be expelled. <laughs> like that's yeah. what, and that's it's heavy. What you would, if, if this kind of system really did exist in the public school system, which is if you get in trouble, you're put up against a, a jury of your peers to decide whether you're expelled or not. If I was a parent, I'm like, I hope Arnold's on every, every case. Right. That's, it's like the most like anarchist sort of yeah, school horrible. process. I fucking love it. I think it's so <laughs> awesome. It's like, no, the teachers don't decide and the administrators yeah, don't decide. Yeah. The kids decide. The kids yeah, the legal so, process. Yeah, but of course, kids. Anarchy. Half the kids already want to get out of there, and the other half don't like Eugene. They're like, they're monstrous. When he's standing there in the courtroom, they're like, boo, throwing food at him and stuff. And Eugene is completely at the low, you know, the lowest of the low. And we, it's weird. The viewer knows that he is actually this like sweet, good kid that would never do that. So you kind of, before you see all the evidence, you think he didn't. He didn't do it. He's a nice kid who follows the rules well there's like a tell when the principal opens the door and he has the mop like in a defensive position mm. it's like he's expecting somebody to come in that's not like it's not like he's gonna like offensively uh, you know hurt somebody who opens the door it's like he's gonna defend himself hmm. so i think that was the first thing when i was thinking about it as like a whodunit type of thing yeah 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 that was like the first thing i saw it's definitely a classic whodunit but at the same time i don't i don't think it's like there have been episodes that I've really nerded out in post-structuralism, and I'm not going to nerd out that much here because I don't think it's quite as obvious in this episode as it is in others. But I think there is a little bit of, and I, I think whodunit mysteries reference this a little bit, but you are, as as the viewer, we're presented with this narrative um, that, and all the, all the kids are too, and the 
these clues and, and this evidence and this narrative is tied up in such a bow where there's no other option than it being Eugene. And really, if Curly hadn't said anything, it's st- there was no proof that Curly did it. Um, yeah. th- there was the pencil, but that doesn't mean anything other than it probably wasn't Eugene's pencil. Um, and I, I think the only kind of loose post-structuralist theory that maybe can be tied to this is that we think we know what what the text says, um, but really, as as you find out when Curly reveals it was him, you act, we actually have no idea what, what really happened. We're only presented with with the evidence that's given to us, and sometimes that evidence is really faulty and not... Um, I mean, it, it even is tied to the uh, uh, narrator, the un, unreliable narrator a little bit. Um, this episode is... It's funny, you go. We go through all this work, figuring out. Wow, Eugene really did it, only to find out that he didn't do it. So that whole thing was just a lot of time of them going through clues to find out that all the clues that they thought were true weren't true at all. And it's interesting to me because I feel like this it, for Curly, it was almost like they were interrogating him without him knowing it, and it was like almost inadvertent, huh. and he cracked. Yes. Because it's like he could, he, he was, it was too close for comfort that he couldn't. Yep, yep. And it's not that he wanted, uh, like, to tell what he had done. It's just that it had gone too close to the actual story mm. that he just kind of snapped. And I think that's super interesting because it is, I think, maybe in like a serious situation, that's like a good tactic mm. would is to just kind of have conversations and see if something, you know, somebody essentially snaps because they're being. I feel like if uh, I, I just based on his name, the kid that they think is guilty, Eugene, Eugene, how dare you? I know. I'm sorry. Um, I feel like if he was there and they were all kind of just yelling at Eugene, like he never would have said that it was him because he would have right. taken too much joy in watching Eugene get yelled at hmm. and debased. And I think there's something to that. Just the way that it sort of happened, like the process that like made the whole thing work. That was really interesting. I, it, I think that's probably something that like teachers of students go through a lot. You know, they know one of the kids did something crappy, uh, but they don't know who, and they're not going to like interrogate every student. They're just going to kind of talk about it in front of the class to make the kid who's guilty feel more guilty. Yeah. It's like shaming you. Like parents do stuff like that too. I realize yeah. like, Oh, I wonder who did this. Yeah. Mm, wow. That person really doesn't care about me at all or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. really lay on the guilt. Um, and I think you're right. I think he cracked because it was too close to reality. Yeah. Um, and who knows how much of that, that Arnold explained. Well, no, I guess Curly walks through exactly what he did, uh, which is kind of funny. Him like tapping Eugene on the shoulder. Oh, look over there. It's like very rudimentary, but I guess they're in elementary school. So that works. I, I also think Curly feels, it feels like the kind of caper that George Costanza the kind of setup that George Costanza would do, right? Because it's like so bad. It's so it's petty. Awful. Yeah. It's he. Sh- yeah. Look, like Eugene's the revenge, a monster. Like the yeah. revenge date. The revenge part. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Eugene, you're a monster for sharpening that pencil so small. I get it. Like everyone should be annoyed at that. Yeah. But the kind of revenge you're getting him expelled, and yeah. like him kind of saying, "See, look, I, I will be, you know, re- I." Revenge shall be mine is such a George Costanza move. I I can think of him setting up the the candy bars in the um the episode with the the car dealership. Do you remember that one? Uh-uh. Someone took the last donut or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's trying to figure out who it was. I don't remember what it, I don't remember the exact detail, but he goes through this painstaking setup to try to get <laughs> this guy to admit that he did it. I was just watching Seinfeld last night, and there was the episode of. Jerry's out on a date with the lady and she's a doctor uh-huh. and she's talking about like, you don't know what it's like, Jerry, to save life, to have someone's life in her hands. And he feels like really put down by this because just a, you know, a merely just a comedian. And how would he know what that's like? Then he finds out later that she's a dermatologist and he's talking <laughs> to George about it. And George's like, you need a revenge date. You need to call her out. You need to take her on a date and call her out. And he's like, a revenge date. That's insane. Like, have you ever done that before? He's like, no, because they've never wanted to go on a second date with me. <laughs> That's right. And it's like, but it's yeah, true. Yeah. Like, and then Jerry goes through with it, has a revenge date and he calls her out and then he realizes skin cancer. Like he, so she can yeah, save yeah. people's lives. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it's never really good. The revenge angles never good. No, of course not. You sound because, okay. Curly is a crazy person, but yeah. it makes you sound more like a crazy person. <laughs> totally. 
Yeah, I Curly's a cool kind of tertiary character because he just always snaps, and it's it's a nice it's it's very um, rewarding just to see him kind of lose his lose his marbles like that. Well, I feel like revenge is like pretty much always disproportionate. <clears throat> like you never give back like the right, to the degree right. that it was given to you. So yeah, you always look way worse than whatever the like initial wrongdoing was. Yeah, absolutely. Because you you sit with the anger and you just like yeah, it's never good. So to all you listening out there, revenge is not the answer. Did did you have other thoughts on WrestleMania too, or was that it? Just the like I have z- literally zero thoughts about WrestleMania. Okay, I was never into wrestling. Well, I thought it was there was like, so it was just that she's trying to get out quickly. Yeah, to me it was the the, the okay. thing I thought was interesting was the selfishness angle, like disregarding this thing larger than herself, mm. which is sort of the ethics and sort of importance of the legal procedure. Yeah to do something that is like in the next episode, like let's go throw rocks. Like it's like this like inconsequential nothing thing, but it's like in her mind far greater than whatever is going on in front of her. She's kind of like that. She, unless she's, (laughs) unless she's all in, she's not in at all. Yes. That's very very poetic. Thank you. Yeah. That was good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I don't think really there's much else for this episode other than like just some funny, I, I like that Harold, the way he eats the banana and chokes on it is yeah, pretty good. He's pretty good. He looks like a monkey choking. Yeah, he really does. Like Donkey yeah. Kong. Uh, that might be the only other thing that I'm. Yeah, let's into. wrap this up. I got wrap wrestling to watch. You got what? Wrestling <laughs> yeah, to watch. That's right. You know what? We're canceling it. We're going to go watch <laughs> WrestleMania. Um, so the second episode is World Records, uh, which um, opens up with Arnold and his friends looking at this kind of like the Guinness book of world records, that kind of a um, book. And they're listing off all these crazy things. Whoa, fattest worm. Longest someone goes while blowing a bubble, all all this stuff um, that as Helga points out, it's just a bunch of morons. I mean, really that most of these like amazing things they're going through are just, what would you say earlier? Non-consequential. Yeah. Unconsequential. Unconsequential. It's like, they're all pretty absurdist. Like it's just insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like walking backwards for like a thousand miles or whatever. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Which that we can, that's something we can definitely unpack anyway. So they're looking through this book of kind of ridiculous, uh, um, records and they're super excited about it. And Arnold kind of rallies the troops. Like we could do this. Then uh, Helga comes over and kind of craps on it, gets most of these people, kind of annoyed and they leave. And so Arnold and Gerald are alone trying to get into this, uh, get into this book of world records and they try to walk backwards. They try to not shower. Um, I think that might be, Oh, like bouncing a ball on their, on their face and hula hooping. And they just keep failing over and over. Um, and then they're still looking through it and they realize maybe we could just like get more people to do it together. And so they try to like, all pile on top of a bike and they try to do the longest crack the whip. And again, they keep failing and failing. Yeah. They get the town involved. Yeah. They, they, they start getting more and more people involved. And then kind of the last step is Arnold says, what if we all work together to do this thing based more on our own skills and talents? And he actually has this sentence where he says, these are seemingly useless abilities that will put, come together to create this thing. So they decide to make the world's biggest pizza puff which is like a giant hot pocket, basically. Um, a calzone, perhaps? A calzone. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, they fail here. Someone puts in too much baking powder. It's cool to see everyone come together to do this, but of course they fail. That's the gimmick of this episode is they can't quite get the record done. It's like a food bomb is actually what they make. Yeah, it looks like raining blood. It's actually kind of crazy. They would Nowadays, they'd be put on like a terrorist watch list. <laughs> for buying that no much baking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's this also funny like side story where Harold's like, I'm doing my own. None of this is fun. And so he just goes to a, goes to like a, a, a coin pony thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what those are called. I don't know either. Um, and he just like rides it for like a few hours. And then the the tomato sauce falls on his face and he licks it off with his giant tongue. Yep. Uh, and then Arnold in, in his lowest moment of deject dejection, which includes Gerald saying, I guess we're never going to be special. I guess we're not unique. We'll never get into this book. Arnold kind of gets an idea, goes and writes a letter. And then it cuts to the next scene where it's revealed that their town 
their neighborhood has gotten into the world book of world records for being the neighborhood to have failed the most at attempting to break a world record. So they won a the record. Most determined is what they. Is that's like the final it. phrase. Yeah. yeah, they won the world record for failing at the most world records, uh, and then everyone cheers and is excited. Uh, and Helga takes some credit. Oh, I knew we could do it. That kind of thing. Uh, and that's the episode. Um, yeah, I think the narrative structure of this episode is whatever. It's like okay, but I think the bigger ramifications of what's being talked about are pretty interesting. Um, what, what did you? Th- what were you thinking? Um, a couple things. One just came to mind as we were, you were just doing the summary was, so the episode could be seen as like glorifying mediocrity. Yes, absolutely. Which I'm not going to get into because I don't agree with that. But, but. Uh, oh, okay. But hold on. Yeah, okay, okay. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I, That's my, I have a feeling you're going to get into that yeah, later. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, if you listen to like people that have quote unquote made it, right? Um, like the Steve Jobs of the world and or whomever. Bill Gates, another computer guy that comes to mind. Um, Mark Zuckerberg. Another computer guy. Yeah. yeah the guy's from Google. Think computer guy. Uh, uh, is Michael there any, Jackson. Are there any com- computer non- women? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Well, that's another. That's for another time. Um, that's another conversation. That but we, we believe there should be. There should be more. Want to mm-hmm. be. Yeah. Uh, if they want. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, all minority groups should get in on the whole data mining scheme that's right. going on in the internet yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> that's what we need. Um <laughs> So I Political. think <laughs> I think that so okay you can see it as glorifying, glorifying mediocrity. mediocrity. But I think if you look at any of these wildly successful people, what they always typically talk about if they are sort of able to analyze themselves for what they really are is that they there's like a beauty and a necessity with failure. And that you have the most growth when you fail. Yes, absolutely. Because it yeah. shows that you're you're like out of your comfort zone and you're trying something new and you're up for criticism and you're up for failure. And that no growth can occur without some sort of even great failure. So I think in that way, the exercise is not futile. I think it's like a good exercise that they're going through. And the way that they rally the, this to town and together is uh, really great as well. Um, but I think that they're, the whole thing that this episode kind of toys with his like self-worth and Hmm. how Hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, I think it ties with self-worth and I think our own mortality Hmm. because Arnold talks about uh, very briefly about like these people are going to be known forever. Who really cares how many sardines a guy can clean it out? Gerald, the people in this book are the best in the world. They're at the forefront of human achievement. To be listed in the book of world records is to get a little piece of immortality. Uh, You want to go down a river and throw rocks? Gerald, don't you see what I'm trying to say? If you and I broke a world record, we'd be listed in this book forever. And I think that this kind of shows like the, our obsession with like the idea that life is finite and how do we like deal with that. And I think it's this desire to be known and interact with something that is like greater than ourselves and greater than like our normal human experience. Mm-hmm. So there's like a religious quality to it or like a spiritual quality to it. I think it's not like really easily noticed at first but i think it's they're tapping into a similar thing it's like they they want to be part of something that is forever and i think that's a draw people have to religion too mm. is that you need to tap into something that's greater than you yeah greater than yourself i think and i think this what you're talking about fits in with arnold's story pretty well um i mean it it's kind of similar to the episode about the list where he's trying to like complete the list because no kid's ever done it before he's he's looking for greatness and i think that you know, he, because he is an orphan who lives with his grandparents and he, he does have this, um, sick need, not sick need. That's a really dramatic. He has this thing inside of him where he wants to be recognized as something bigger than himself. Um, and so it makes sense that he's trying to, you know, complete the perfect, the perfect Saturday morning list. And he's trying to get into this book of world records because he wants the immortality. Um, so yeah, I think, I think what you're saying makes sense to his story too. Yeah. And there's a quote, uh, from Helga that says uh, there is no way you lamos are going to break a world record. And I think the key there is that using of the word lamos, it's that there's something where if you're not hyper successful, Mm. that you are automatically a failure when in reality, like people are always sort of somewhere in between and there's nothing wrong with being in between. Like there can only be a few, you know, very, very well-known quote unquote respected people. Um, cause otherwise they wouldn't be, you know, 
the sort of standout stories that they are and situations that they are. You mean like in, in the book specifically or just in general? Like just in general. Successful people. Success, like mm-hmm. very successful and like quote unquote noteworthy people. Like if everybody was noteworthy, would we have like top 100 lists on Time Magazine of like most influential people? No, but it's like what determines influence. Obviously yeah. there's like medical breakthroughs and there's certain things like that yeah, that yeah. like stand their own on their own, you know? But as far as like other things, regular life can be pretty important as well. Yes. I mean, there is value in like this for sure. This episode is a conversation on value and as what the way you would want to encourage these kids would be not so much find how to be successful, but more of a, you are unique and not succeeding doesn't mean you're not unique and it doesn't mean that you're not doing things that are of value. Um, I, so I think this episode is about value for sure. Yeah, definitely about value, I think. And there's like, there's value in the process. I think that's the thing. It's like the act of doing something Mm -hmm. in itself is valuable. Um, whether or not you succeed is sort of important, but it's not like the most important part. Right. Right. Yeah. So I was thinking, I think, and I think it, this one's parallel to what you're talking about and it's probably going to get you angry and I don't agree with this is just a thought experiment. Um, but the thing that I thought of, there are a couple movies that I was thinking of. One is, um, I thought about the Incredibles, which is a Pixar film. Um, I, th- you know, it's a with superheroes. If you're, wait, did you actually, have you seen it before? No, really? No. Oh, it's really interesting in this context. I might have to explain it right now to you. Briefly. Over the, no, nah, I'm not going to go into too much. Anyway, uh, Forrest Gump. Have you heard about the film Forrest yes, Gump? Yes, I have. That's a classic. You've seen that one? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had this conversation with a friend years ago, and he, I remember, Forrest Gump was one of my favorite movies for a long time, and it's kind of gone down a little bit. It's not like a top 10 anymore. It's like maybe a top 20 or 30. Definitely a great movie. Um, but back when it was my favorite movie, I remember talking about it with this, with this guy and he's like, Oh, that movie just celebrates mediocrity. And it, it, it's this guy who has no business being anywhere that he is, but because it's, because he's tied to these like really strong moments of memory for the American psyche, it, it like lifts him up to a place of, of honor, even though he did nothing to deserve to be at that point. So I, I think about that a little bit, and I don't know how much that's tied to this episode necessarily. But the one I did think about a lot is um, The Incredibles, which is about superheroes. I'm explaining this to Adam, listeners. You have all watched The Incredibles because you're a human. Uh, the fact that Adam hasn't is really strange to me, but that's okay. It's all right. Um, so uh, these superheroes have been kind of ostracized um, from their place of of once... I mean, they were once gods, basically, and they're they've been... Um, rejected and so now they're having to live lives like like the normals um, normal people and so there's this struggle for these superheroes who once felt powerful now having to kind of drop down to be like everybody else and so there are a couple lines in this movie that reference this idea of mediocrity and what that means and the two main characters their kid is having to basically even though he's faster than than the speed of sound he has to slow down in, in, at school in order to um you know com- compete fairly with the other kids and uh you know there's a or him him graduating from sixth grade that or not even six, fourth grade um the main the main character he he says, why are we going to this? It's just, it, it's, it's just a cell. I think he said, I think he calls it a celebration of mediocrity. Um, and there's a, another line where um, the villain says, I'm going to make everybody super because when everyone's super, nobody is, uh, which to me connects a little more to this idea of seeking this superior um, immortality uh, reference, like the, the book of world records, how, once everybody has been given a title of superiority, then what, like what makes anybody superior? And I think that's the loot. A lot of people say, Oh, the Incredibles is just like a loose reference to objectivism and Ayn Rand, which I am not into by the way, before Adam jumps down my throat, I am not into it, but I think it is an interesting idea thinking of these kids seeking like, immortality and seeking uh they have this 
interior need to be special, but it feels a like they're seeking after kind of a, a dulled down um, uniqueness because everybody is seeking for the same base uniqueness. And then the second thing is when they finally do receive uh, their, you know, their stamp of approval, it's just for doing nothing. It's for failing. It's for um, not quite making, not quite making it, but they're still rewarded for it, which I, I agree separately from that argument that it's worth it for them to fail. That's like a good thing and they should be rewarded for that. But in the conversation of seeking success and seeking um, memory uh, and seeking uniqueness, it seems like kind of a false finish, I guess, to be, be rewarded for that. Well, I don't know about this example comparing it to The Incredibles because I've never seen the film, but I do uh, take your read of it. Yeah, thank you. Um, but I, I, to me, kind of what it reminds me of is there's a lot of talk right now about um, if you look like 30, 40, 50 years ago when people write like science fiction books or they'd write anything about the future, like futurist type things. They had us at this time, like riding around in hover sh- like hovercrafts, and you know all these sort of like sort of na- seemingly far fetched utopian sort of yeah. science fiction esque things, right? And and the thinking is like, why did we never ever really reach that point? And, and there's some things that were have come to be like the internet and talking to our phones, yeah, via screens and shit like that. So there's like different ways, but like the real fundamental reasons, like why have that those things not happened? And some people's rationale for that is that our brightest people have always been sucked into like some sort of bubble. Mm. So you have like the quote unquote brightest people like working in the financial services industry. And it's like, why do they do that? And it's because there's like a huge financial gain and there's like an esteem that comes along with like being in that world. Or why do they go work for tech companies that produce arguably very little value? Some have great value, but some very little value. Right. It's another bubble. Snapchat, very little value. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a bubble. Everyone would admit it's a bubble. There's a lot of money being thrown around with very little value associated to it. Right. So there's a reason why those people are not teachers or say researchers or say scientists or whatever other thing they could be doing to like be providing on some sort of other level. You yeah, know? yeah. But the, the difference is that those careers are very, very important. We just don't place great like. Right, right importance them in our society but it's all sort of behind the scenes important things Mm -hmm. so it's like you're not the director of the film with your name on the sort of not billboard what is that marquee your name is not on the marquee but you're like in the liner notes you know as the the things coming down but you're like very very integral and important and that's the problem is that and it's sort of this idea with the uh, Guinness Book of World Records thing is like these things that these people are written down in that book for are utterly useless things and arguably uh, like the financial service industry, a lot of that is the same way. It's there's dangerous. It's actually unsuccessful and doesn't really work very right, well. Right. But they're still held in such high regard, and there's like a, an allure to it. So I think it's like recalibrating like what we view as like important and those sorts of things. And I feel like I always kind of end up talking about shit like this on this podcast. No, no, no. I, that's why I brought it up because I knew that you would have better ideas. I I have like this base idea of how it's referencing like a loose objectivism or whatever. And I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if it's a critique of it or if it's a celebration of it. I'm not sure. The show or the, the, the show. Oh, uh, I, I think it's a critique of it. Yeah. And I think that it's, it is glorifying mediocrity, but like in a way that it's kind of like when you acknowledge the person that uh, is, doesn't often get acknowledged just because you think it's the right thing to do. Hmm. Right. So you're, it's like, there's a, there is a value in just calling it out. And like saying the thank you to the person that doesn't normally get that thank you mm. or get that praise. You know what I mean? So there might not be some like that person probably didn't have the most sales at the company or didn't have whatever your thing yeah. is, but it's just important to keep morale high. So are you okay with trophies for just participation? Yeah. Cause I, f- I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you, no, I, no one will agree with this. I don't think we should give out trophies at all. Like, I don't think it matters. Like why? Uh, like, I don't, don't put this thing on, like, like on your shelf that you can kind of look at as this thing. Like, if it was important to you, you should know that and hold it within yourself. And if you want to talk about it with other people, talk about it with other people. But I think that um, there's the sort of thing where people like that because it creates some sort of intimidation and awe for those who enter that room. 
right? Like if you go to the, the trophy room, you know, and it's like, whoa, I'm surrounded right, by trophies right, right. and first, you know, first place ribbons. No one truly gives a shit about that. It just makes people feel bad about themselves. You know what I mean? To Which make you a few feel episodes, better. episodes ago with Big Bob and Helga. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It, somebody always feels put down. Yeah. So I think we should commend people that do well in things, you know, but I think making this permanent thing is sort of like nonsensical to me. I'm I'm definitely just asking. I'm not saying, hey, what about trophies, homie? Like no, I, no, yeah, yeah. I'm not what you would call sporty, so I really don't care. <laughs> You're not sporty spice. <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm either baby or scary spice. I'm not <laughs> brainy sure. Brainy spice. I think. I don't think that's a spice girl. Beardy spice. There you go. Beardy spice. They were all brainy. Okay. <laughs> oh, None yeah, of them yeah. weren't brainy. They were all brainy. <laughs> one of them was sporty. One of them was whatever. Baby. Yeah. Strange. Yep. Um. Thank you for tuning in to Spice World. <laughs> yeah, that's our the next pod- podcast venture. The Spice Podcast World. Okay, sorry. Uh, no, but yeah, the trophy for everybody thing. Yeah, I don't think there's any harm in doing that. I like it as an equalizer. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's better than putting everybody down and like glorifying one kid. I agree with that. And I, I'm not against... Especially when there's such a fit, like to sports, there's just like a physical element to it. Yeah. Like some kids have more physical prowess and that they're just going to do better. You know yeah. what I mean? Than like the kid that's like not that way. I, I just thought, I, I thought about Malcolm Gladwell and him talking about, uh, he's an, for those of you who don't know, he's an author who talks a lot about, um, kind of the way culture, how, where success comes from. He's basically. a pretty prominent author. Who knows though? People yeah, are spending their time watching Hey Arnold. Who knows? Um, yeah, but he, how he talks about how there's a whole group of kids who didn't, who, who who played, for example, hockey, but didn't do well because they were the youngest on their team. Um, which I know, like I I went through that in baseball, whatever. And so thinking about him, I wonder what he would have to say about this kind of an episode because I think it does have some conversations on success and on this like drive and need for success. And this is just completely an open-ended question because you're not Malcolm Gladwell and he's not on this podcast. But I think (laughs) I just, I wonder what he would say about um, this drive to like be put into this useless book of world records and what that means for what that's saying about society. So I don't know about the, I don't know about what he would say. I'm not going to speak for that guy. Speak for him. He has crazy hair. Like I have crazy hair though. I I believe I'm thinking the right person. No, you are. Yeah. So he runs a lot. Yeah. That guy. So I'm not that guy though. The running guy. <laughs> um, uh, I'm more of the beer drinking guy, but um, I think there's something to that. And I think you, to me, you hit it more on it with the trophy for everybody thing than this episode, perhaps where I think like when you're planting seeds, right. And you want something to grow, like you plant, I don't know, six or seven seeds or whatever. Not all of them are going to sprout and grow, but you plant more of them and you right. treat them the same. Hoping uh, that they will grow. Uh, uh. So I think the the thing about equalizing it with kids is that you truly don't know what impact that is going to have and what that is going to spur in that person because talent and success is important, but also your like stick to itiveness mm. and the way that you train and you do all those things is hyper important too. Um, so there's got to be some sort of like there's like a baseline of knowledge or talent, right? But I think a, a lot of the way that you you nurture that talent mm. is like probably just as important you know i know he is he the one who had the ten thousand hours rule thing yeah yeah so i was hearing a thing about that about the research of that and how he sort of butchered it Mm. and that's not completely accurate um but people kept quoting it anyway quoters yeah um and and it's not just like if i do something 10 for ten thousand hours i'm gonna be like the beatles you know what i mean which is the example in the book like there is a thing with that with raw talent yeah. with the Beatles. And yeah. they talk and then the researcher who did that initial research talked about the raw talent. But it's also like the way that you train and you practice is super important too. It's not just the fact of doing th- something repetitively uh for 10,000 hours, but I think also to me it's just that thing of like the the comparison to like planting the the trees, the seeds or whatever. Yeah. It's like the good thing about equalizing it is you never know how that's going to affect a kid later on. Yeah, and I think so that actually jumps onto one other thought I had about it which is there's this defeated um, tone in Gerald's voice when he says, I guess we're never going to be unique. I guess we're not special. We're never going to get in that book. Uh, and that tone is both sad just because you're like, oh, he didn't, they didn't get in. But also it's saying something, um, saying something a little deeper about what this generation of kids um, thinks being unique is. 
And I wonder, I wonder if kids who grew up in the eighties and nineties, kind of the way we were raised by children's television in, in mostly really good ways. And I think the good ways are what you were just talking about, which is planting seeds in every kid, whether or not it's going to stick. Um, and that's like a Mr. Rogers telling all, you know, every kid you are special, you're unique, um, or Sesame street. Those are two examples. Those are two of the best shows, um, you know, in, in children's television history, which is, I guess, just 50 years old, but you know what I mean? Those are, those are two standout examples that do mostly really good things. And I wonder if kids who grew up in the eighties and nineties, I, I mean, I know that it, it feels like kind of a suburban response to say, okay, so we had all these opportunities we, we were told we're unique and special or whatever. Yeah, you're talking about like a privilege of some sort. Right, and realizing like, oh, maybe I'm not. And I think that's what these kids are realizing. Maybe we're not special. We have the, the, this opportunity to try to get into this into this book and we keep failing. I thought I thought we could do anything. I think the, people, the reason people, and I think this is what you talk about in Ayn Rand sort of situation. The reason she doesn't like that sort of thinking of like everybody's a star, you know, is that she thinks and other people think, and I think to some degree wrongly, yeah, yeah, is that you breed entitlement through that. Like, I am great in myself, therefore I deserve all of these things. And she would be talking about the state or like some sort of corporate welfare or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that, that that's why you read a thousand articles about why like millennials are the most entitled group, right, which is right. complete bullshit. It's not true. Like, we are entitled in a different way than our parents were entitled. Like the baby boomers are the most entitled people right, but probably of all time. We are too, but for completely, completely different, different ways yeah. because we had a different past, different, well, different upbringing. And we have, we are doing without in a way that nobody in our prosperous time has done without since like the great depression. Hmm. So uh, I don't want to get like in too much of a tangent, but like our employment rates of people our age, like 20, like I think it's like 18 to 35 or whatever is the same as it was during the great depression. Hmm. So I think that that yeah we spent a lot of money on education we expect something in yeah, return yeah, you know what I mean that's right yeah and but I think on a personal note like um, there's an opposite side to this so when I was a kid growing up I didn't have the attention span for school and I would act up a lot in school and talk constantly because my teachers were fucking boring me and my classmates were boring me and all through my childhood teachers would say like education in school is just not your thing Adam. Like, you know, you'll do something else, but school's just not your thing. And I was told that all growing up. Wow. So I acted like school was not my thing. And it wasn't until my last, second to last year of college when I realized, wait a minute, that was all bullshit. I actually am good at school. I just didn't think I was. And I listened uh, to everybody. So I think when you're dealing with kids, uh, when you're dealing with kids, you never know how they're going to manifest. That stuff is going to manifest. And to be honest, I didn't realize that it manifests that way until I was 25 years old. Yeah. Which is fucking depressing. Yeah. Like when I was like, wait, I want to go to graduate school. Wait, I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you know can. I mean? It's just going to be a it's lot. Upward, it's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah, it's an upward yeah. climb. So anybody can go to grad school, bud. It, <laughs> for those of you who don't see. Yeah. I'm I'm poking, <laughs> poking at his shoulder chest. as <laughs> if, as, right into his heart, as if he, yeah. uh, he no, feels it. I, I could go, but I'm just saying that. It's an it, upward. Yeah, it, it's a climb. And I think that. Yeah, and I th- but a lot of it is just that I wasn't nurtured in that way, and I didn't have this, like, crazy confidence to, like, overcome it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think I, just because it's a good critique to say people, kids do need to learn about failure, and they do need to learn that it takes hard work, all that stuff, which maybe is, I guess, Ayn Rand. I don't know, but... I think let's that, get rid of that Ayn Rand lady from her. Yeah, she's the worst. Talk. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't want to sound at all. No, I no, think no, you're not. I understand. I think. Saying. I think the thing that someone like Mr. Rogers is doing, he's actually um, helping heal people who've been told kids because they're all under seven. But kids who come from unhealthy homes or bullied or whatever, and he's telling that he's actually healing wounds to help them grow again. Yeah, um, definitely. And so, worst case scenario is that they become millennials and gen Gen Xers who go, Oh, I thought I understood life and I don't, at least I had a good childhood. Like that's the worst case scenario, which isn't that bad. Like I look at my, any kind of doubts I have about who I am today. I'm still very grateful for being told by my parents and by my teachers and whatever that I am unique and I am special, even with all the negative stuff that comes out of that, which is a weird entitlement or a realization that life isn't easy. Those things aren't that bad compared to what I had. 
the privilege I had was great. And I, I guess looking it, back, it's way it's more, like, that's way more fixable right, than like, exactly, yeah, yeah. like it being deprived. Like a state yes, of deprivation yes. is very hard to overcome. Whereas like having too much, oh boy, shucks. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you just reorient and you try something else. But if you have to literally start from the very beginning because you thought you had no worth in some way, it's yeah. feels nearly in, like insurmountable. And that's where this episode kind of ends okay. Even though they are being celebrated for their mediocrity, which is a little silly, they also are being celebrated for their mediocrity, which is they're being celebrated for something. They're being for celebrated their for their averageness. For who they are. Yeah. Um, for trying. If the worst thing that comes out of that is that they are excited about something that doesn't really matter, I guess that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Go America, right? Yeah, exactly. The land of opportunity. Uh, what's your cry of the week? Uh, you. What was yours? Probably, probably Gerald saying, I guess we'll never be unique or special. I mean, it's not a huge cry. It's like maybe a tear. Yeah. It's not, it's more, it's more of a, oh, hmm, you're realizing how hard life really is. Okay. It's not that sad because they're trying to get a thing that doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I totally spaced on the fact that we do this segment, which I think is a great segment. Um, probably the best podcast segment of all time. Um, <laughs> yeah, one single clap. <laughs> A trio um, of single claps. I think maybe, okay. So I'm going to, I always kind of fuck this up, but I think that the, my cry of the week is probably those that would really think that this is celebrating mediocrity and that that's a bad thing. That's going to be my ration, my reasoning for crying. So meta. <laughs> and it's going to be four stars, not a full cry, but almost there. It hits deep. I, just, I already told you why it hits me deep, but I told the whole world. That's true. Um, yeah, but it was a good. I, I like these episodes. Yeah, these are these are good. They're not my favorites, but they are solid um, with a lot of interesting things to talk about. And uh, you know, this season is wrapping up quick, actually. And there's some uh, a, a couple interesting episodes and a and a huge heavy hitter coming up. Um, so I can't wait to talk about those too. Yeah, Arnold gets married. Yeah, it's a great episode. Nine-year-old gets married. Uh, again, please rate and review. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, we really like doing it, and we, we'll be back in a few weeks. Um, yeah, thank you for listening to episode number 17. Is that what this is? Yeah. Are you, crazy? are you sure it's only 17? Only. Yeah, it's 17. Okay. I think it's 17. Either way, we're in the high teens. We're somewhere. I think it's 17. Should we look really quick? Nah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Wow!